Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Giving God your word, O Lord, is sweeter than honey and more precious than gold. Inspire us through this reading by your Holy Spirit and lead us to the treasure of your will for our lives. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Hear these words. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So today we begin a four-part series, looking at the Sermon on the Mount, especially where Jesus talks about our heart and our treasure. Uh, we'll spend the next uh, four weeks talking a, a little bit about um, how to uh, handle our treasure, how to uh, think about our heart, uh, how we cannot serve two masters at once. And then on that fourth Sunday, we will celebrate um, the very wonderful um, relationship that we have with God, the very powerful provision that God provides, uh, that we will recognize that Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount about not worrying uh, means not to throw caution to the wind, but to trust that God's provided. You know, um, stewardship is an interesting piece. Uh, it tends to get a bad rap. I, I remember uh, growing up, my father always said that when a preacher starts talking about money, you hold on to your wallet because you just never know what will happen. Um, I like to think that stewardship is about more than just what we do with our wallet or what we, what we put on our commitment card uh, or how we support financially the church. I, I like to think that stewardship is that act of stewarding our whole lives, not just my life, but my family's life, not just my family's life, but my community around me, that stewardship really isn't a money grab, but rather it's a chance to name our values and to allow our treasure to follow our heart. So I wanna tell you about one of the most powerful days of my life. Uh, it's right up there with my wedding day with Amy, the birth of grace, the graduation from seminary, ordination, I mean, you name it, way up there in those most important days. It was the day we no longer rented a storage unit. I mean, think about it, right? I mean, I remember the day, right? We graduated, uh, Amy and I both graduated from seminary uh, on a Friday in May. It, it was a week until, uh, or a week and a day until our wedding day. Uh, my to-be father-in-law and I drove a U-Haul truck with both of our dorm room contents, everything that Amy and I owned, uh, from North Carolina to Texas, and we put it in a storage unit uh, in Bel Air, Texas, in anticipation of my appointment and it would be another 10 years 
before we actually went through every box in that storage unit. Now, I don't want to say that we kept it in Bel Air. Oh no, we moved it with us when we needed to, right? It went with us to Brazoria, Texas. Actually, uh, Brazoria didn't really have a storage place back then, so I was over here at Daniel's U-Haul and RV, you know, off of, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, And then we moved it uh, to Port Neches, Texas. And then we thought about moving it back to Lake Jackson. And Amy said, no, this ends now. (laughs) And so sure enough, in a non-climate controlled storage unit, we rolled that um, uh, garage door up Um, I won't tell you whether I remembered the combination to the lock or not, but bolt cutters are a wonderful thing. And we went through every box, every box that we had carried from place to place throughout 10 years of our life. And you know, in our heads, we thought the things that were in those boxes were far more valuable than they actually turned out to be. I mean, we thought there were, uh, you know, important memories, that there were pictures, that there were, um, I, <laughs> I had put away all of my uh, notes from my classes and my graduate degree. And, and it took me 10 years to actually, and I kept thinking all throughout ministry, boy, if I had that one paper from, or if I had that one set of notes from, right? You know, I doodled on my notes far more often than I wrote really concrete things. <laughs> And so, so 10 years ago, we got out of the business of having a storage unit. Could you believe uh, that we had paid extra to store, that we had carried around with us this 10 by 10 foot space that we thought defined who we were, that was all that we had when we got married. But what we found is that what was so important really wasn't behind the padlock of the storage unit but rather it was what we carried in our hearts. Do you know there's 2.3 billion square feet of rentable storage space in America? That that we have more rentable storage space in America than most people have uh, to live, right? That, That our storage fanaticism is about keeping things that we might need, keeping things that we should need, keeping things that our parents told us we should need. I find it really interesting. My mother calls me regularly, and she often tells me about how many boxes she got rid of that week. And I think to myself, thank you, Jesus, right? (laughs) Because I'd rather her figure out where her stuff should go while she's living than for me to inherit it all at once you know, one weekend after the funeral as I try to figure out how to make sense out of all that stuff. What is most important to you? I'd be willing to say that um, our series this month is not gonna be an indictment of your stuff. In fact, some of the things that we own, uh, those treasures are not about um, the books that we carry um, or the titles that we have. Sometimes the things that we value most Um, are the memories that we have. My mom still has that clown costume. It's in her closet, not mine. Sometimes it's about the childhood joy that we remember. Sometimes the things that our treasure contains has to do with memories of our dad. Sometimes it has to do with school. I'm in the middle. I have more hair than I ever had in my whole life. 
just so you can see it because I'm proud. <laughs> Sometimes our most treasured things are things that we don't even own, but they're the things that brought joy to our high school years, to our life together. Sometimes it's a picture of a bishop that ordained us. Sometimes it's the picture of the best person that was our spectator when we walked with our doctorate. Our memories are important. Our stuff is important. But what's far more important than all of those things is the treasure that we have. Treasure is an important word to use. Uh, you know, um, I find that uh, our treasures become evident in times of life that are difficult. Now, part of being a pastor is I get to be at the most joyful times in people's lives, and I get to be at some of the most difficult times in people's lives. And I've been reminded over the last 20 years that, um, that there's an interesting dynamic when people begin to know that they're going to die. They start asking for the pastor to come on over. You start making those visits as the pastor and you come on over. You find time to sit at the bedside you have conversations about a lot of things. You have conversations about things that matter. I remember one particular church member, um, I asked her um, during what we knew was probably the last six weeks of her life, I asked her, how is it with your soul? I'd asked her that question often. She's one of my church leaders. She never answered it until she knew that life was getting precious. The things that we talk about uh, when we're at the end of life, they're not about the things that we acquire. They're not about the things that um, uh, moth and rust can destroy, that the th kind of things that thieves can break in and steal. The things that people talk about in their last moments, in those uh, last breaths, those last weeks, are the joy they found with friends and family. They talk about the holy moments with God. They talk about the times when they taught a child or went on a mission trip or gave of themselves in a sacrificial way. What's fascinating is the things that they talk about at the end of life are not how much their salary was or how many degrees they earned or what their corner office with the window looked like. When we talk about our treasure, at the end of our lives, we talk about what means most to us. Now, I wanna be honest with you, I'm not just gonna show pictures of my life uh, throughout this series. Um, you cannot get away from the fact that stewardship begins and ends with how we spend our treasure. And I think I'm on solid ground to say that Jesus talks about money quite often. Um, in fact, uh, you could say that he talks about money more often than any other topic except for the kingdom of God, that 11 of Jesus' 39 parables deal with money, that almost every, let's see, one out of every seven verses in the Gospel of Luke references, do you want to guess, money. And so you might wonder, why in the world is Jesus so hung up on money? I mean, is it just kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy that the reason why uh, churches in America get such a bad rap is because we're spending our time praying for God to give us a, um, a corporate jet as opposed to caring for the least of these? Did we catch this disease about money from Jesus? 
Or maybe did we take the idea of money and twist it on its head? I believe Jesus talks about money because money is at the root of all of it. That when we talk about the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is looking at our heart. He cares about our hearts, about God's people's heart. And that when you think about people's heart, it's tied to their money. That um, who of us haven't gotten into a conflict about money with our spouses? Who hasn't uh, gotten to an argument about allowances with our teenager? Mine's not here today, (laughs) ha (laughs) ha. You know, when we think about um, questions about happiness, and we ask people who are affluent and people who are poor, they all say that money doesn't tie to happiness. But of course, those who are poor say they'd love to have a chance to try, right? No laughter on that? I thought it was perfectly good. When we think about money, it divides us. When we think about money, it talks about haves and have-nots. I think the most difficult time I've ever done um, a funeral, it was a graveside uh, because the family wanted to save money uh, because mom had finally died and the inheritance was theirs and they didn't want to squander it on anything like faith or religion or the pastor. And they all drove up in new Cadillacs to the graveside. Money doesn't really help. Money just muddies the water. But Jesus knows that where we spend our money, where we have our treasure, really determines a lot about our hearts. Now, um, I want to suggest to you that heart always follows treasure. We usually think that where our heart is, our treasure will follow. Uh, But Jesus says the opposite, right? We want to think that where our money is, where our things are, that our heart will follow right to where it is. And so if you love children and you love peace and you love the environment and you love, I don't know, baseball, that your treasure will come to it. And I'd like to suggest that it's the opposite, that that the opposite is true, that that, um, our treasure follows our heart. That, That when we, I have these backwards, that's so annoying. Let's go back to the other one, Jake. There we go. That where our treasure is, our heart follows Now, I'd like to say um, (laughs) that um, pastors with houses are like 16-year-olds with new cars. Did you get that metaphor? I mean, we live in a parsonage our whole lives, right? Well, two years ago, Amy and I bought a house here in Lake Jackson. I cannot tell you how much um, heart follows treasure. Ain't nothing like uh, the insomnia that comes with a 30-year mortgage. There ain't nothing like planning your calendar on the weekend to take care of all of those problems with that house because that puppy needs to last for 30 years because you know I'm not paying it off early, right? Where your treasure is, your heart will follow. And so, um, so much of our life, I joke with the chair of trustees uh, two years ago. I said, it's amazing. I've never cleaned the, the gutters on a parsonage in my whole 20 years of ministry, but I've already done it on this house because it's mine, right? You notice the changes in when you decide something is important, you begin pouring everything into it. Um, Eisenhower talked about a particular uh, two-by-two quadrant where uh, you had things that were urgent and things that were important. And you also had the opposite, things that were not urgent and things that were not important. And, and, And it's easy for us to think about these things. Things that are urgent and important 
you know, that's like, you know, paying the bills. Um, that's like getting food for the family, urgent and important. Things that are not important but are urgent, those are the things you try to delay. That's what everybody else wants you to do. That's not important, but they keep convincing you that it's urgent. And of course, the things that are not urgent and not important, well, that's often play and enjoyment. The box that's always so challenging is those things that are not urgent but important because you and I both know that those things will creep over time. Things that are not urgent but important, that's what we do with our prayer life, that's how much time we spend with our families, that's how we raise our children, that's how we care for our souls. It's important, but it's not urgent. It's not gonna come due today. There's no one pushing, telling you that there's a late fee if you don't learn about prayer or spend time with your teenager or go on a date night with your wife. But what's fascinating about those things that are not urgent but are important, they creep. They take little steps towards urgent every time. They take a little step towards urgent every day. And eventually that not spending time with your teenager uh, becomes very urgent and very important when they call from the drunk tank and said, Dad, I need to be bailed out. Urgent and important happen sometimes when we don't pay attention to it. I wonder, how do you think about where your uh, treasure is today? Where is that treasure and how is your heart following and heading towards that treasure? In the old days, we used to say that um, how you spend your time and how you spend your money will uh, let you know how you spend your uh, treasure, what you value most. I think these days you could look at what are the apps that you have on your smartphone. They'll tell you where your heart is, where your most valuable things lie. Or if you want, um, export your Google Calendar to a spreadsheet and sort it by personal and business. Look at how you spend your time and your money because your heart follows your treasure. I I don't often quote Billy Graham, um, but um, Billy Graham was asked late in his life, If you could, if you could go back and change anything about your life. Now, this is Billy Graham, right? I mean, this is the guy that stadiums of people would show up for his sermons. And uh, as opposed to Josh and I, who are always innovating new structures and new opportunities of how to preach, right? He was three points, and it always ended with an altar call, right? There was nothing so fancy or complex that you couldn't ask people to commit their lives to Jesus if you were Billy Graham, right? This is the guy that did it the way that's supposed to be done. And when asked what he would do differently about his life, how he would change if he could go back, he said, I'd change one thing. I'd preach less and spend more time with my family. This is the guy that's probably responsible for more notches on his Bible cover than anyone else in the world. You, you do put notches on your Bible cover, right? <laughs> like every time somebody commits to Jesus because you ask them to, you just kind of notch it. I'm the only one that does that. Okay. He even says when he counsels people who come and talk to him about having a call to ministry, he says to them, spend less time away from your family. Spend more time where your heart is. Spend more time with those people that knew you who you were before you were, Reverend, Doctor, whoever. 
I wonder for you, where is your heart and your treasure? Thanks. Where is it? Is it divided? Do you wish it were in one place but are not very sure? I think what's important about stewardship is not to begin with the commitment card and the dollar amount, but rather to start a number of steps before that. Let's just put a GPS out on where our heart is. Let's just spend a little bit of time understanding how our calendar is organized. Is it what you intend? Is it where you want to be? Is it reflecting uh, what your words say about your actions and about your calendar? I find that uh, in ministry that people want answers to two things. Um, And it has nothing to do with the dollar amount on their commitment card. They really want to know how to pray. Like how to pray in a way that feeds their soul. How to pray in a way that unites their heart with God's. And then second of all, people want to know how to read the Bible. I I think if the church could answer those two particular questions, how to teach people to pray, and how to help them read the Bible in such a way that they can understand it, we wouldn't have problems to talk about with regards to stewardship campaigns. That once our heart and our treasure is in the same place, once our prayer life becomes our heart language and the Bible becomes more than just decoration, we find ourselves uniting with God in a way that's meaningful and powerful. And then it makes sense for us to allow our heart to follow our treasure because our treasure becomes Uh, the work of God. Our treasure becomes uh, being united with God. Our treasure becomes what we do together as the people of God. I've told you all the story about going to the dentist when I was in my first appointment, about showing up with a wad of cash in my pocket, um, worried that everything that was scheduled for me I wouldn't be able to pay out of cash. That when I got done after uh, x-rays and after a a, a bite guard, because apparently I'm a little anxious and nervous about things um, and grind my teeth, um, and, and after all of these wonderful dental opportunities that seemed to be something that no one would ever be able to afford, I got to the desk and the dentist said, oh, you owe nothing. This is a church member of mine, and I couldn't imagine putting her out for that much money. And I said, no, 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 I brought money. I pulled out my wad of cash. I said, no, 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 I'm prepared to pay. And she says, here's the deal. If you can help me understand as my pastor why God put me on this earth and that there is more for me to do than just make people's teeth pretty and healthy, in that moment, I'll let you pay. Until then, keep helping me understand why God put me here. Keep helping me understand how to communicate with God. Keep helping me understand how to read God's word. And you'll never get charged here again. Where's your treasure? How might you be united with God in prayer? Is the Bible something that needs to be dusted occasionally on the coffee table? Or is it something that you carry with you every day? Let's spend the next three weeks figuring out where our treasure and our heart are so together we can find meaning and purpose and follow God in the rest of our lives. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.